1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the hump day edition of the Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. Another day closer to college football. And it's one of those things, too, like when we're winning it seems like it takes forever for the weekend to get here. Like right, we're so eager to play again. We're going to break down Kentucky today. Very extensive look at the Wildcats. We'll look at the series history, we'll look at uh, what the Wildcats have done to date, what to expect. I have said for some time this is not a good matchup for Kentucky. It's not. And when we get into this today, I think you're going to agree Mississippi State should be the favorite in this game. They are the favorite. With or without Will Levis as a quarterback, Mississippi State should win this game. That said, there's a reason we play them. There are a lot of people that thought, you know what, A&M had no shot against Alabama and it goes down to the final play of the game. So there's a reason we play. And you know this, I'm not insulting your intelligence, but uh, I have said from the outset that Mississippi State should beat Kentucky. I will continue to say that. There are some others now that have come around to my Line of thinking. I think a lot of people get caught up with mock drafts early on. and are like, oh, Will Levis is projected to be number one quarterback taken in the draft. And he may be. I think that's a mistake. I don't think that his production matches the reported potential that's out there. I, I just don't. And I think you've got a guy that's got a bad wheel. He did practice this week. He has a severe case of turf toe. A lot of people say, well, Steve, what is turf toe? Well, basically, it's a hyperextension of the big toe. Very painful. Sometimes there are varying grades of that. It is an injury that lingers because it's difficult to heal without rest. And playing college football, not a lot of rest. He did rest last week. He suffered the injury against Ole Miss. Of course, Kentucky lost last week and lost to Ole Miss. Probably the only real difficult game, I would say, that Ole Miss has played, and they won it. You know, they've had a very manageable schedule but that was a big one your kentucky comes in highly routed rated excuse me and highly regarded i have not been sold on kentucky the entire year i'm not sold on old miss either but playing that game in oxford old miss should have won the game they did and you know, kentucky had their opportunities as you guys know they had some uh, special teams miscues we think it only happens to us but it happens to other people too but this kentucky team i think has been you know, we talk about heavy as a head that wears the crown I'm not ready to crown them or any respect, but I think the weight of the expectations on this team has proven to be very difficult for them to handle. But also, too, they were overhyped. They were overrated. They're overranked. And I think now what you're seeing is the expectations are being somewhat tempered because Kentucky is just an average team. I think I picked them eight and four. I, th- I think that's what I did, picked them eight and four. I think they're staring seven and five right in the face because I expected them to beat South Carolina, and congratulations to Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks. It's a good win. It is. Anytime you go on the road in this conference and you win a game, it's a big deal. And South Carolina, as we discussed on Monday, never really felt like that they were threatened in the second half of that ballgame. So we're going to break down Kentucky. Done a lot of research. I think you're going to like what I have to say today. Not that you don't every day, but I think you're going to enjoy kind of getting inside Kentucky. My honest opinion is I think this game is going to go very similarly as the last two did. Would state getting a lead and then kind of taking over there in the second half and getting some separation between them and their opponents. But, uh, again, we'll break it all down. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I have always loved Bulldog Burger Company. It was love at first bite for me. The very first time I went in there, it was a great atmosphere. I had the bulldog. I said, you know what, I could do this again. Eventually, I had every burger on the menu. You know, we had the Bulldog Burger Challenge. And uh, my, you know, my, my friend Tom Menyard made rest in peace. He also completed the Bulldog Burger Challenge. And I uh, appreciate him doing so. Tom, a great man, a great Bulldog. I miss him very much so. Uh, but Bulldog Burger Company is a great place to go eat. Whether it be a night out with family or a night out with friends, they've got an atmosphere and a menu that I think will, will kind of you know, suit your fancy there. You can have an adult beverage, or perhaps you just want to have a night out with family and have a good family night. They can accommodate whatever your wishes are. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, that brand-new patio area. A lot of people are enjoying that. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then Lake Harper Drive in the Ridge Flowood area. Be sure and go check them out today. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. We're trying to make America as beautiful as we can be. And the spring rolls will make you and everybody around you better looking. We all need more of that. I love that uh, Shipwish Donuts bread pudding, too. Maybe you get that. Maybe take it home. Have it for breakfast, whatever. Or get that chocolate shake to go. A lot of options for you. The great restaurant quality hamburger, always available at Bulldog Burger Company. But if you know what? If you don't want to eat quite as heavy, have that BLT salad. I love it. I, I would suggest to you it's one of the best salads I've ever eaten. The portions are so substantial. I've never finished it. And I'm 6'2", 215 pounds. So if if I can't finish it, chances are you can't either. It could be lunch and dinner for you. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. Be sure and check it out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's talk about the history of the Bulldogs and the Wildcats. This is something, this this is an old series, but we didn't play regularly, of course, until the SEC expanded uh, back in 92, I guess it was. But state leads the overall series twenty-five twenty-four. Maybe you didn't know that. But before Dan Mullen got here, Kentucky was certainly you know, the beneficiary of a uh, of a series that uh, that didn't favor the Bulldogs. But it, goes, it dates back to nineteen fourteen, and and of course that's been a few years, right? Nineteen fourteen, Kentucky wins the first matchup state gets even back in 15 we play them again in 16 so we basically it was like whoever was at home won we started in lexington and so it was back and forth uh, the first few meetings and then in 1944 uh, we had not played since 1917 we played 14 to 17 every consecutive year with the home team winning and then in 44 we meet in memphis and we beat them there 26 nothing Kentucky's first win in the series in Starkville happened in 1950. They beat us 48 to 21. The next year in Lexington, they shut us out 27 0 State gets even in 52 with a 27 14 win. In 53, we go again. It's the home and home thing. All right, we end up going to Lexington four consecutive meetings. We went in 53 and lost. We go in 55 and win. We go in 58 and lose. We go in 72 and lose. Interesting, right? It is. The SEC scheduling back then left a lot to be desired. Unless you're old Miss, of course, and you absolutely loved it because you never had to play Alabama. All right, 76, Mississippi State um, gets a win here. We later had to forfeit as part of the Larry Gillard sanctions. In 77, Kentucky beats us, and that began a four-game winning streak for the Wildcats. State gets even. And when Jackie Sherrill gets here, we beat them 31-6. And then in 1992, beat them 37-36 in a classic game. If you can find this, at one time it was on YouTube. I remember this game, this 92 game, one of the better games that Mississippi State and Kentucky have ever played. Greg Plump's shining moment in many respects for Mississippi State, very back and forth. And then State wins 37-36. And it felt like late. Even though State had really been in this ballgame, we weren't gonna be able to pull it off, we do. If you can find it, I encourage you, to go back and listen to it. And those of you I remember I was in an eighty three Honda Civic driving to Jackson, in and out of radio service. And it's like every time we'd catch the radio channel again somewhere else and you hear it through all the static, you know, something good was happening. 93, Kentucky wins, and then State goes on a two-game winning streak and really got the better of these guys. 94-95, State wins 47-7 and 42-32. In 1996, Kentucky wins 24-21. Then in 97, a great game here. This is a game, too, where State got down early, had a, had a return for the kick. This is a Tim Couch game. And then State comes back to win. Eric Brown with a big game for Mississippi State. One of my memories from this game is Craig East, who was an outstanding wide receiver at Kentucky. Got absolutely shelled. His helmet pops off, and he actually takes a helmet to the head, to the crown of the head. Does not return. That ultimately ended up being a big development because he was, without a doubt, the go-to guy for Kentucky. 1998, State wins the West, but we go on the road and we lose at Kentucky 37-35, a game that we should have won. But give Tim Couch and those guys credit they come back to win. State didn't lose me that year. That was one of them. After that, State goes on a three-game winning streak, winning in 99. And that's the the Matt Wyatt comeback game, right? He hits Matt Butler on the sidelines. Butler throws the ball out of bounds. They then assess the penalty, and Scott Westerfield takes the field and kicks a game-winning field goal on a Thursday night game for the Bulldogs. In the year of the comeback, State wins 23-22. 2000, we, we get those guys. And then in 2001, an absolutely miserable season for us. And Tommy Kelly, who did, he had a big game against Kentucky in a 17-14 win. I remember when the game was over, Tommy Kelly and John Blake having to kind of help Tommy from the field. He left everything on the field that day, for sure. There's no doubt about it. All right, 2002. Maybe I've got my my years mixed up there with Blake. But either way, uh, 2002, we lose big, 45-24. 03, we lose 42-17. State gets even in 2004. 22-7 winners there. And then Kentucky gets the better of us the next two years. You remember in 2006, again, that's a game we should have won. We lose it 34-31 here at our place. All right, 2007, State wins 31-14 in Lexington. And then we lose in 08-14-13. That's a game, too, if you recall. Adam Carlson missed an extra point and then missed a game-winning field goal. This is one of those games, too. To give you a little backstory here, some insider trading stuff. We lose the ballgame. And I think in many respects, losing this game brought an end to the Sylvester Croom era. Former Mississippi State Athletic Director Greg Byrne, Absolutely tore up about the game. I had some people close to Greg tell me on Sunday, Greg goes into the office and notices this is before we had the SIL complex, the football office of Raw and Brian back then. And he was the only one there, walking around, moping. And at that point, that's when he began to realize this is not going to work out. We lose that ball game. And rather than, you know, we still had a couple games left to play to achieve bow eligibility. And the staff didn't come in that morning on Sunday. And then I'm told that's when really the thought process began in earnest that we needed to make a coaching change, that that the result of this game began to lead Greg Byrne down that path. All right, 2009. And, and let me give t- tell you a little more insider trading here. Dan Mullen, when I first met Dan, one of the things we talked about was this – particular series about how Kentucky was the permanent eastern opponent and how the series had been so competitive. Before Dan got here, again Kentucky was the leader in the series. And Dan said, oh, "I'm not worried about Kentucky. We'll kill those guys." And he and he reeled off what eight straight oh, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And that's really the difference in the series. That's when state got caught up with Kentucky. And then we lose in 16, and it took a case of Sermonitis for us to lose that game. Peter Sermon was not ready to be a defensive coordinator, and this game is a, a very good example of that. Nick Fitzgerald leads us down. After throwing a pick-sick, Nick brings us all the way back and hits Fred Ross for what should have been the game-winning touchdown. At this point, we thought, we got it. It's all good. And then for some reason, we played prevent defense, allowed Kentucky to go down the field and kick a game-winning field goal 40-38. Neil Price, now the voice of the Bulldogs, tells me he was in Kentucky then, that he was so excited because they finally had beat Mississippi State that he slapped a wall and the ring on his hand left an indention in the sheetrock. All right, 2017, State gets back. 45-7 winners, and absolute bloodletting at Davis Wade Stadium. 2018, probably one of the more disappointing losses that we've had against Kentucky, at least in, in recent memory. That was a great defense for us. One of the worst officiated games that I have ever seen. And I was there on the sidelines. Now, State also played very undisciplined. And uh, Kentucky, I thought, did a great job defensively against us. But, uh, you know, people forget when you look at that ball game. Brian Cole picked off a pass on the Kentucky side of the field, they gave us a chance to, to get even. I believe it was a 14-7 game in the fourth quarter. We ultimately lose 28-7. Benny Snell with a couple big runs late to kind of put us away. But we were just so bad offensively. And I remember taking phone calls you know, from donors and other guys in the media on their way back from Lexington about how disappointing it was and said, you know what, I don't know if this thing with Moorhead's going to work out. I'm like, well, you know, we'll see. Let's just give the guy time. But that was one where State absolutely imploded. That 2018 defense was outstanding. We really had some difficulties that night. Personal fouls on sportsmanlike conduct. We were called for a PI. That didn't happen. There were other times that we got tackled in the pass pattern. We didn't get the benefit of a flag. It was a horrific game. State didn't play well. It wasn't officiated well. And they went 28-7. 19 to come up here. We get them 28-13. Garrett Schrader late in that ball game. You know, State had dominated this game, and Schrader had a pick and I guess a fumble into the pile. State should have been well ahead in this ball game, And then Garrett Schrader, late, makes a big run to put the game away. We needed somebody to make a play because Kentucky had all the momentum, and Schrader makes the play. And that's when you know it was something kind of special about this guy. He was still young, still a bit immature, but the guy was a gamer. And then Mike Leach goes up to uh, Lexington in 2020, our last trip up there. And for the only time in his career, does not post an offensive point on the board. We lose 24-2 through six interceptions. And I remember listening to post-game radio, and they were talking about how well the defense played. You know what? They, they didn't allow a point. And so it's kind of hard to argue against that. But this was really a situation where K.J. Costello just simply melted down. I think after what happened at Arkansas, it's like, okay, let's go up here and get some things done. State Defensively, we only allowed 157 yards in the game. And I think like 70 of that was on one play. The defense played outstanding, despite the fact that they were given a short end of the field over and over and over. KJ had a pick six. He had another one that was returned inside the five and set up a touchdown. But give Kentucky credit. They made the plays to win the game. Mississippi State played terribly. And if you don't think that's not a motivating factor as we get ready to pack the bus this week, you're kidding yourself. Of course, last year, State wins... 31,17 uh, in the ball game and you know Kentucky gets out to the early lead here and then state dominates the rest of the way. You know that, that's kind of how it was. We didn't panic if we got down two scores. but if you go back and look at that game and you really think about that game last year, it was kind of fluky to be honest with you. what I mean by that is it's like Kentucky didn't play well and you look up and say well you know state won by a couple touchdowns. The score was not truly indicative of how well state played over the course of those last three quarters. State really dominated this game in many respects. Having to hire a new employee sometimes is the absolute worst, right? We've all been there. If you've got your own small business, I mean, you're you're trusting your livelihood, you're trusting your baby, your blood, sweat, and tears with somebody perhaps you don't know very well. That's why you gotta be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. You got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. How cool is that? There have been times in the past I've made hiring decisions when I was desperate for an employee. It's been nice to have had a partner to help me screen through some of this and make sure that I get people that fit the specific skill set I'm looking for. It's so easy to go make a free ad today at LinkedIn. Maybe you should. then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it much easier to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to actually meet, interview, and ultimately hire. It's important to have the right team. It's why every small business rates LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering Quality hires versus your leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster than ever before. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash boneyard. That's linkedin.com slash boneyard to post your job for free. Some terms and conditions may apply. Let's take a quick look back at that uh, before we kind of get into what the Wildcats have looked like this year. So of course, state enters that ball game. Uh, you know, with they two and two record? Excuse me, that's not correct. Well, we beat Vanderbilt. Yeah, I, I, I saw that the blue flash there on schedule. I apologize. Don't say mean things about me on Twitter. I'm a delicate flower. We entered the game with a four and three record. Kentucky was five and two coming in. But when you go back and look at this, Kentucky gets up seven nothing uh, there in the first quarter. And it was a special teams miscue, which was really, you know, kind of – that was the story of the year in many respects last year. You know, we were getting better on defense. We were getting better on offense. Took a huge step back in special teams last year. And this was part of it. You know, it's like we're doing a good job here. We go out there. We put together a, um, you know, good defensive stop. Sean Preston with a pick of Will Evis on Kentucky's first drive. And we go down and – yeah, we're doing pretty good here. And then Tucker Day hits a line drive punt that Josh Ali runs 74 yards. Should have made a play there. We didn't. But that's really all Kentucky could do. We also missed a field goal in that first quarter too. But Kentucky not really able to do much in this first quarter other than a punt. But you know what? Those count. Eventually, Kentucky gets up 10-0 and make a field goal. And at this, I think at this point we thought, okay, it's time to go. And from here, Mississippi State really just kind of took Kentucky behind the woodshed. We go down and score a touchdown, makes it a 10-7 game. We get a three a three and out, and we get a pretty good punt return from Jaden Wiley. Sets up the, the Bulldogs again for another touchdown. Now it's 14-10, and State had all the juice here. Will Levis picked off again. Emmanuel Forbes uh, picked you – know, this is deep in Mississippi State territory – and that was really a game-changing play because if Kentucky had a chance to kind of get into the half with a lead, maybe they feel a little bit better about things. But instead, Mississippi State comes out. We get, um, you know, we get the drive, the opening drive of the half, and drive down the field and uh, kick field goal. Excuse me. Yeah, kick field goal, makes it 17-10. We we actually had a touchdown that was called back on a holding call, and ultimately had to kick field goal here. But um, 17-10 ballgame. Again, we were down We were down 10 nothing. We get the ball back. Chris Rodriguez fumbles the football after a, a two-play drive. We take over at the uh, Kentucky 22, go right in and score. Now it's a 24-10 ballgame. And I think at this point every one of you felt, okay, hey, Steve, we're in good shape. Well, the very next play, we'll have us throw another pick. It was batted up in the air, and Cameron Young picks it off. And then State goes down and scores again to 31-10. So State scores 31 unanswered in this game. And at this point head to the fourth quarter, the thing was over. I mean, I mean, it was absolutely over. Kentucky scores in their first drive of the fourth quarter. And then at this point, we kind of just kind of sought this game away and, and win. And I don't think there was any question coming off the field that night who was a better team. So that's how last year went down. And, uh, you know, we talk about Will Levis having, you know, the house of horrors. A lot of that's Zach Arnett. The majority of it is Zach Arnett. Look at individual numbers here. Will Levis, 17 of 28 for 150 yards and three interceptions. Just the one touchdown. And the touchdown was uh, of you know, not meaningful at all. That, you know, again, it's a, it's a three-score game when that happens State went down a little bit. Will Rogers threw for 344 yards and a touchdown. Sacked twice. We're going to get to those sacks a little bit later. But State ran for a net of 94 yards in the ballgame, and those sacks really were the only thing that kept us over less than 100 yards. But Jaden Wiley with a nice game. Rara Thomas uh, had the big touchdown. But, uh, again, I I think there's any question who the better team was in that ballgame. All right, let's look at Kentucky this year. Again, a lot of hype. I, I don't know who Mitch Barnhart has hired to be uh, their PR person, but they're doing—they're getting their money's worth from that person. They convinced an awful lot of people that Kentucky could potentially win the East this year. I don't know how, but they did. All right, looking here. Uh, so, looking at uh, the schedule for this year. For Kentucky, 4-2 and on the year. They open up with a 37-13 win over Miami of Ohio. Kentucky was ranked 20th at the time. They didn't move up after the W. They go to Gainesville, though, and I don't care what kind of team Florida has. Anytime you go in the swamp and come out with a W, it's a big deal. It is. And for years and years and years, Florida dominated the series with Kentucky. And now all of a sudden, you know, Stoops has kind of got Kentucky holding their own here. It's one thing to win in Lexington, but when you go into the swamp and do it, it's a big deal. And again, I don't care who you are or where you're from. You win in the swamp, it's a big win. It is. It may not be a huge win nationally, but it's big for your program. At the time Florida was ranked 12th in the country fresh off of an upset of Utah in week 1. And I was kind of convinced, you know what, Billy going to be okay, and I still think they will be. But Kentucky goes down there and hits a very confident Florida team square in the mouth and win 26-16. The next week, they struggle with Youngstown State a little bit, but they they win the game 31-0. Of course, Youngstown never really threatened, but the Kentucky offense was just kind of okay. The next week, they really struggled with Northern Illinois, they win the game 31-23. But you can kind of see Northern Illinois gave Vanderbilt some trouble too, and you said, Steve, it's Vandy. Northern Illinois should not be able to compete regularly against SEC athletes, and they did it twice this year. Maybe that's an up-and-coming coach right there that somebody in the Big Ten should consider. And, of course, they lose to Ole Miss 22-19, lose last week 24-14. So kind of trending in the wrong direction the last three weeks you know, since reaching the top ten. You know, It's just like it's been a different deal. And, of course, they play us, and then they go to Knoxville, and then they're at Missouri. And based on how Missouri's played as a blade, I don't think anybody can just consider that to be a, a W if you're Kentucky, if you're scuffing a little bit. Because, listen, there, there's a real possibility, a real possibility, that Kentucky is going to enter that ball game with Missouri on a four-game losing streak. And then they get right against Vanderbilt and they play Georgia. But you start looking at the numbers here, I mean, Louisville's not good. It's a rivalry game, but Louisville's not good. But you look at your 4-2 and two at the halfway mark. You're going to lose to Mississippi State. You're going to lose to Tennessee. So all of a sudden, you're 4-4, four and four, and then the pitchforks will be out. Nothing stoops in any way as any jeopardy. You're be like, I don't understand. We were top ten. We were expected to win the East, and now we're 4-4 four and four with four games left to play. And you managed to win, you know, two or three down the stretch here you end up being a 7-5 team. Again, I think they're a game behind schedule because of that South Carolina loss. But uh, it's all very interesting to me how it all unfolds. There's so many people out there that tell this is the year. Kentucky's going to beat Georgia. South Carolina's going to beat Georgia. Yeah, Kirby, welcome to what Nick Saban goes through a lot, right? Every, all the dynasty's over. This is the year. But, I mean, how did anybody look at this team and say, you know what, hey, these guys are going to win the East. No, they're not. It's You don't get better by losing players. Oh, well, they've got the number one quarterback in the draft, and I think that's very sketchy. And so uh, let's take some time and kind of look at that too, you know, before we kind of move on to today's top ten list. But uh, let's look at these Kentucky numbers. I think it's important. Let's not talk about potential. Let's talk about production. All right, Will Levis, of course, has played in five games. He's 97 of 141 with four interceptions and 12 touchdowns, averaging 281 yards a game through the air. Uh, Kaya Sharron started last week. He's played a couple games, 15 of 27, one interception. I do expect Will Levis to play. Does he finish the game? I don't know. Don't know about that. But I do expect him to play. And, uh, again, he was in practice earlier this week, and I think a lot of people – we're kind of projecting he wasn't going to play because of what the line was doing. But um, I think what we're looking at now is Kentucky's season is on the brink, and Will Levis is a competitor. And so I think Levis is like, you know what? I'm going to go out here with my guys, then I'm going to do the best I can. If I can't go, then, then we can't go. All right, looking at running yardage here, Cavassier Smoke is uh, the leading rusher, but that's because Chris Rodriguez was suspended for four games. You know, they had this whole thing. You know, this NCAA investigation, and Rodriguez was one of the players that was uh, mentioned. This part of the allegation is you know receiving impermissible benefits. It'd be interesting to see how that all kind of plays out. But uh, Smoke, a guy that we have not seen a ton of. Semakies of always a little bit banged up when we play them, but uh, leads them with 269 yards through six games, averaging 5.1 yards a carry, just to one touchdown, long of 27, averaging under 45 yards a game. Rodriguez has been back for two games, came back against Ole Miss. Ironically, they've lost both games that Rodriguez has played. 198 yards, nat for him, 4.8 yards per carry, and then one touchdown, a long of 10, averaging 99 yards a game. So in many respects, that's kind of job one for Mississippi State. I think you got to make Kentucky one-dimensional. I think deep down they want to be one-dimensional, but maybe not the way – the, the Mississippi State intends. I think they want to just come out and be able to run the football and do some play action. I think what you got to do here if you're state is stop the run and make Will, a will Levis, who's less than 100%, beat you. This wide receiving core is young, will probably be pretty good the next year or two, but they've struggled at times to make plays down the field. Um, you know, will, will Levis, too, we talk about, everybody talked about him kind of being a dual threat guy on the season. It's 40 carries. He's gained 69 yards, nice, and then lost 125, so in that of 56. So he is not, he's being more of the pocket passer, and I think that's kind of a byproduct, too, of the change in offensive philosophy with a new coordinator in. It's like, hey, let's showcase him for the NFL. I certainly don't think that all of a sudden this week he's going to, decide to kind of revert to old form and just kind of tuck it and go. There's some Kentucky fans too, if you read their boards, that have been a little bit, you know, kind of frustrated that, that maybe they're not getting the most out of Will. And I think a lot of this too. There's just it's kind of a perfect storm. You got a guy that's banged up. You got a guy that's got the NFL aspirations. You, you want to do what's best for him, but at the same time, what's best for your program. And if you put that guy out there and he gets hurt, and all of a sudden he drops in the draft, you know, what does that do for recruiting, kind of going forward? It's just kind of, it's a delicate balance, to say the least. All right, Tavion Robinson is the leading receiver with 25 grabs. He is a transfer, if I remember correctly, from NC State. 392 yards, uh, three touchdowns, averaging 65 a game. Dane Key, a young guy that they're really high on, he got banged up in the ballgame over the weekend too. And it's a wrist injury, if, uh, if memory serves me correct. It's a sprained wrist which is kind of a difficult thing when you're a wide receiver, of course. They can wrap him up and give him some anti-inflammatories and send him out there and see how he goes. But football is a physical game. So it'll be interesting to see maybe how aggressive he is. That's the second leading receiver, again, kind of banged up. Uh, Barry and Brown, uh, 288 yards, a couple touchdowns. Jordan Dingle, nine catches for him for 107. So, But you you look at this, it's kind of been a by-committee approach. But by and large, it's been the same four or five guys that have been the targets of choice. They do use the running backs a little bit. Rodriguez with just four catches on the year, and Cavassier Smoke with three. So running some screens and sometimes checking it down to them, but uh, not really a byproduct of an offense like our guys are. I mean, they don't run the air raid concept, but they're not really utilizing the running backs in the passing game, perhaps, as much as they should. Wrote our enemy of the state piece yesterday over at jeanspage.com. DeAndre Square, one of the first defensive players we've kind of highlighted with this. I run that piece every week is you know to kind of help you guys get more familiar with your opponent. But DeAndre Square is a guy that plays football the right way. I really like his game, I, and, I, and I, I wish he was gone, right, which is the ultimate compliment you can give to a competitor, right? I'm just tired of playing against this guy. He had He had 12 tackles last year against Mississippi State, which is one off a career high. He did not record a tackle in 2020, and then in the three years that has followed, 30 combined tackles. This guy has had big games against State. Now, Jaques Jones, not expected to play, former Ole Miss linebacker. That's a pretty significant development, too. He's the second leading tackler on the team, and they missed him last week, and Jones, very active, has, been, has had a good run at Kentucky, but... Big game last year against Mississippi State, but you neutralize that and, and you remove one of their top tacklers from a linebacking core that is good, maybe not great, but we are an offense that really stresses linebackers. We put them in conflict. And so when you have a team, perhaps it doesn't have a ton of depth at linebacker and they lose one of the more productive guys, it puts a lot of stress on the rest of the unit. We should be able to exploit that. Uh, Jordan Lovett's a guy, too, that's had a good year for him, 24 tackles for him. Uh, Sacks. This is one of those things that's really interesting. When you think about Kentucky and you think about what they've been able to accomplish and you think about Mark Stoops and you think about that game in 2018 when poor Nick Fitzgerald was running for his life most of the game, Kentucky threw six games, nine sacks. That's it nine sacks. They've allowed 25. Nine sacks, and it's not just rushing the passer. TFLs are down too. 27 TFLs on the year, and that's just not Mark Stoops' defense. Now, a lot of it, they've had some guys banged up. That's the reality of life. You, you get guys banged up, especially when you're, maybe you're in a transition year. They were a good team last year. That was a good win for Mississippi State. It's like I, I read these people sometimes too. People forget We beat Kentucky and NC State both. They won 10 games last year. It's a good Kentucky team last year, but they lost a lot. And so now all of a sudden what you return is kind of banged up, and it shows in the production here. And just five interceptions on the year. They've only thrown five, but they've only picked off five too. They had six against us in 2020. You knew the secondary was going to be challenged this year. They really haven't been. They've actually been a little bit better than advertised. But some of that, too, is a byproduct of the offenses that they faced. If I can find some numbers here, and and sure enough, I have. I looked up some numbers yesterday kind of uh, for an article that I was working on, but also too kind of anticipation of the show. All right, so Miami, Ohio, that opening game, they ran 64 offensive plays, a perfect balance of 32 runs, 32 passes and they allowed 179 passing yards. Let me go ahead and give you the punchline. Kentucky has not allowed a team to throw over 200 yards this year with one exception, and that was Ole Miss. That is a run-heavy team. And so it's interesting to me when you look at these numbers, teams have basically chosen to run the football against Kentucky, and that is something I don't know that we would have expected to see maybe two or three years ago. All right, the University of Florida – 65 offensive plays 35 of them through the air which is the most that is the most passes that the Florida excuse me the Kentucky secondary has faced this year well, that's not correct second most now that, that is correct I'm sorry I can't read my handwriting here all right so 65 offensive plays 35 of them passes and it's 143 yards. That's the game, too, if you remember after Anthony Richardson in Florida beat Utah, people were like, you know what? This guy's going to win the Heisman Trophy. And then after he melted down against Kentucky, nobody's even mentioning this guy anymore. And this is why. Bad game against Kentucky. And it wasn't necessarily a byproduct of Kentucky getting in his face. He's missing wide open receivers out there. All right, Youngstown State, they run just 46 offensive plays, 24 of them. Passes, twenty-two of them running. Then they get one hundred and thirty-four yards passing. I mean, it's Youngstown's day, right? All right, Northern Illinois. Despite the fact that they did a great job in this ball game, fifty-nine offensive plays, twenty-six of them passing, thirty-three on the ground. Northern Illinois really gave Kentucky trouble. Ole Miss, sixty-eight offensive plays, twenty-nine of those passing. So, 39 on the ground. South Carolina, 61 offensive plays, only 19 passes. So, 42 runs. So, what does that tell you? Maybe DJ and those guys can have a big ball game. The last three opponents for Kentucky all ran decidedly more than they threw the football. And I don't think that's because of the fact that the secondary is difficult. I think it's, you know, why throw it when we can just run the football? So could be a good night for D.J. and those guys. But, again, it's interesting. You look at the numbers here and say, well, Kentucky's 16th in the country and pass defense has got some doing great. You get inside the numbers and you realize that people just aren't, aren't stressing that secondary, and that's a group that lost an awful lot from a year ago. So it's a new look secondary. We'll see how things go. But I think what you're going to see here is I think you're going to see State be able to kind of get after these guys a little bit. When it comes to um, running the football and throwing the football, I think we're going to have a chance to kind of do what we've done the last couple of weeks. If they drop, you know, six guys in the coverage, we'll just take that five, six yards, and eventually we'll run them out of that and be able to take some shots down the field. That's just kind of been the formula here as of late uh, for the Bulldogs. One of the things I think is interesting, too, and I've touched on this briefly, but I want to kind of get, frame it up and give you a little context here before we get to special teams. We talked earlier about sacks allowed, which is 25, and that's, a, and that's a big number. You say, but Steve, where does that relate? Well, Kentucky has allowed the third most sacks in FBS. Out of 131 teams, Kentucky is 129th in sacks allowed. 25, they're allowing over four sacks a game, and they haven't faced a blitz-happy scheme. Probably the closest thing to that's been Ole Miss. This is not a good offensive line. Now, granted, you know, without Rodriguez, of course, you you still got smoke, but without Rodriguez, you know, people didn't have to maybe respect the run quite as much. The only two teams in the country that have allowed more sacks than Kentucky, Colorado State, and Jim Moorhead's Akron Zips, Jonah's guys have allowed 28. Colorado State has allowed 26-5 and five games. Kentucky, 25-6. and six. And so you begin to think about, okay, you've got a secondary that is kind of rebuilt. And you've got an offense that allows a lot of sacks that puts you behind the chains. You don't think Zach Arnett smells blood in the water? Not to mention, Will Levis, I got it. you beat up last year, you forced him into some bad decisions. You beat him up. He got in the cold tub the next day. That guy's coming in with... A dislocated finger on his non-throwing hand and turf toe on the plant foot. You begin to think to yourself, this could get ugly. It's tough to go on the road and win a ball game. But this is a terrible matchup for Kentucky. Absolutely terrible. Again, a leaky secondary that's kind of been, you know, the numbers maybe are not reflective of their coverage ability. You got a team that struggles to rush the passer. And you're missing your one of your leading tacklers at linebacker. You know the Mississippi State offense should be able to go out there and score as they have. Now, granted, we've been at home the last three weeks, but we ought to be able to go out there and score some points. And you look at this with Zach Arnett, how well Zach plays with a lead. You know, of course, I've always heard, dating back to my high school days, you can really play defense when you have a lead. Because you can afford to take chances because one play is not going to beat you you got to make plays that's why i think it's paramount for state to get out to a strong start here state needs to find a way to allow will levis to feel the wrath of the mississippi state defense i really feel good about the ball game let's get into special teams here real quick because we always know that that's one thing that, you know, Tulu Griffin always forces us to do. Hey, Steve, let's see how many touchbacks you're getting, right? Because we always think, if you're like me, I think anytime Tulu fields a kickoff, we got a chance to see something special. And I, I think it's just a matter of time before he brings one back. He's all, it always seems like he's one block away, and sometimes things work out, work out for you. All right, let's look at punts first. Uh, Kyle Goodfellow is a punter, 20 punts on the year. Averaging 41.5, just the one touchback. That's pretty good, right? Seven inside the 20, though, but four over 50. So this is a guy that you from distance can flip the field on you. But that's a guy. Good job there. All right, Matt Ruffalo is a field goal kicker. Seven of 10. We think it only happens to us. It doesn't. Opponents against Kentucky, though, ironically, eight for eight. All right, Chance Poor is the uh, kickoff guy, and this guy puts it in the end zone with regularity. 33 kickoffs on the year, 22 of them for touchbacks, just one out of bounds. But there's, you know, there's 11 that don't make the touchback, right? So maybe every third kick, and hopefully Kentucky doesn't kick off three times, but if they do, perhaps there's a chance for us to get a return here. All right, punt returning, Isaiah Cummins has said one for three. The main, the main suspect here is Tavion Robinson, 10 for five for 54, which is 5.4 yards of return, has a long of 50. And that kind of skews the numbers, doesn't it? Because it means his other nine have netted four yards. Barry and Brown, one punt for 11, one punt return. Cavassier smoke, uh, three returns for 22 yards, averaging 7.3, a long of 12. Juton McLean, that's probably an an upkick there, one for eight. And then Barry and Brown, six for 286. Averaging, there's there's no way this is right. There's no way this is right. They're saying he's averaging 47.7 yards because they have as long of 186. I'm not going to go back and do the math, but let's just go ahead and assume that's wrong. There's never been a 186-yard touchdown in the history of football. So that's wrong, Kentucky. Get it together. But, again, I don't – you know, special teams are always important. I don't think this is going to be the nip-tuck game that maybe perhaps I thought it would be against Texas A&M. You know, we thought, you know what, special teams could be the difference here. It nearly was because we we didn't execute a kickoff real well, and Devin O'Chain gets a big kickoff return late in the second quarter. But the reality of it is, is when I began to look at this, and you say, okay, where where does Kentucky have an advantage – we look at the offensive line. Well, they've allowed 25 sacks, one of the worst in college football. So, no, you don't have an advantage there. You look at this young wide receiving group with Tavion Robinson, who was very good, and you've got a up against the Camreano Richardson and Emmanuel Forbes, who's one of the best corners in the country. Do you have an advantage there? The answer is no. You don't have an advantage there. You look at the the running backs for Kentucky. Yeah, Chris Rodriguez is a great player. Really is. And Cavassier's smoke is really good too. Do you have an advantage against the Bulldog linebackers? I don't, I don't think you do. So I think when you look across the board here, there's not an advantage on offense for Kentucky at any point. He said, but see, they got Will Levis. And yes, they do, who I think is overvalued, but also, too, Will Levis is injured, has multiple injuries. And I respect the guy for getting out there and practicing and want to be with his guys, and we'll see what happens on game day. But there's no way you begin to think, even with his high accolades and his projections in the NFL draft, do you say that an injured Will Levis is an advantage against a Mississippi State defense that has been very aggressive this year? Look on the other side of the football. You've got the Kentucky pass rush, which which is netted nine sacks in six games. Against the Bulldog offensive line that hadn't allowed a sack in back-to-back games, I think you feel pretty good about that. And then the fact that you know State's running the football now—if if the Kentucky linebacker groom was healthy, I might be able to say, you know what, they may have an advantage here or at least a push here with the Bulldog running backs, because I think DeAndre Square is a pro player. I'm surprised he didn't go pro last year. Then you begin to think about okay, this Bulldog receiving core against this Kentucky secondary that is basically rebuilt and hasn't really been tested yet. They will be tested on Saturday. And so I can't find a matchup, position group versus position group, that favors Kentucky. I think in many respects this game favors Mississippi State in every aspect. Kicking is, you know, a push. We've missed some, they've missed some, right? But the reality of it is the most difficult thing about this one is going on the SEC road. You know, what are we going to be able to do in a road game? We didn't do a great job at OSU. We did a good job at Arizona. We don't always play the best on turf. We don't always play the best at night. But we're not playing the field. We're not playing the weather. We're playing the team. And I really believe, short of Mississippi State going out there and just kind of melting down, we're going to win this game. I think there's a good chance we win it handily. I just want to get the W, right? But I have a really sneaking suspicion this game's going to go an awful lot like the last two did, where maybe it's a tussle for a half and the state gets a little separation and then puts things away there in the second half. We're going with the Bulldogs to win and cover in the Commonwealth. All right, time for today's top ten list, brought to you as always by closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, your friend in the mortgage business. A lot of people out there have said, you know what, Steve, I just can't get it done. I've tried, I've tried, I went through my local bank, I just, I can't get financing. Well, if anybody can get it done, it's Blair Chandler. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country, back-to-back years. And nobody stays in one industry by accident. You got to do a good job. And that's Blair. If anybody can get your loan closed, it's Blair Chandler. Maybe you are a guy that's got an atypical property. Maybe you're a non-conforming borrower. Blair's seen it all and done it all. A lot of people out there want your business. Blair's willing to prove it. If you mention to him, you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a nice incentive, right? One less thing to worry about. Give Blair a call or text today on his personal cell number. Again, that's 601-500-2344. I believe in doing business with Bulldogs whenever I can. Blair is certainly one of us. Season ticket holder multiple sports. Has a place in Starkville. Keep it in the family. Again, that's clotheswithblair.com. All right. Rock of Kentucky. How about that? Did you know there was Rock of Kentucky? There is. One of my favorite bands is from Kentucky. Now, before we get into this, I want to give a high tip to Chris Stapleton. Chris is not on our list, not a rock guy, though he does do some incredible music. I'm a huge Chris Stapleton fan. I would love to see Chris live one day. Haven't done that. But I want to give a tip of the cap to Chris. Didn't make our list. Probably Kentucky's proudest musical son these days. And then Rick Steyer was also a guy that bounced around the metal scene for a while. He, was, he recorded a couple of albums with Warren, including the Ultraphobic. Was on that first Kingdom Come record with Danny Stagg, who was a very underrated guitarist, and with Wild Horses. So Rick didn't make our list, but we wanted to give a tip of the cap. Okay, top ten. Now, our first band actually is based out of Seattle, but the lead singer is from Louisville, Kentucky. She was raised in Louisville, Kentucky, and sadly was murdered. You may have seen the Dateline NBC story about Mia Zapata and the band The Gets. We're going to go with the song A as our top 10 list. Number 10 on today's list, The Gets. G-I-T-S. The song is A, but Mia Zapata, uh, an incredible performer in the punk scene up there, and a very tragic story and tale. She's part of the 27 Club, even though she didn't always get the notoriety, perhaps some of her more accomplished peers did but a very talented young lady. All right, number nine. This is a very interesting band, and I'll be honest with you. I didn't know much about them until I began to put this list together because there's not a lot of rock bands from Kentucky. This is a very interesting one. So if you're into alternative rock, I know Coy Welburn listens to the show. Coy's a guy that loves all this stuff, and Coy may already know these guys, but it's a band called My Morning Jacket. Very, very interesting catalog for them. A lot of range in what they do kind of a dynamic sound, kind of changes from album to album. I'm going to go with One Big Holiday. I love that guitar part at the beginning. I think think it's very infectious. But My Morning Jacket, number nine. Number eight, a bit of a one-hit wonder, but a band that was thought to be part of the second wave of new metal. It didn't work out, but it's a band called Primer 55. And the song is loose. A little profanity with this one, just to kind of give you a little bit of a parental advisory here. In honor of Tipper Gore, a little profanity in the song. But uh, watch these jokers jump when I get loose. The The groove on this is incredible. All right, number seven, and this is a guy, too, that uh, our buddy Coy would know. It's uh, Richard Hell, and he has been in several punk bands, and uh, the song Blank Generation is number seven. A lot of people believe that is one of the songs that really shaped punk music. And it's a guy from Louisville, Kentucky. How about that? Richard Hell, Blank Generation. Interesting song. If you like things a little on the punky side, I encourage you to listen to those guys. Number six, a band that sounds a little bit like Disturbed, a little bit like Seven Dust, maybe without the big sound, but there's some elements in the guitar work that sound a little bit like Clint Lowry. And it's a band that uh, maybe didn't get their due they kind of rode the wave of the uh, you know kind of the post-grunge alternative rock scene. It's a band called Flaw. Going back to their debut album, it's a great song called "Only the Strong." Interesting introduction on the song too. The band is Flaw. Now the final four, I think, I think most modern rock people would probably agree this is the right four. We may disagree on the order. You know what? I, 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 I'm I'm just messed up here in a major way. Our number five band is not a rock band. They're considered a southern rock slash country band, but I couldn't put this list together without paying homage to the Kentucky Headhunters. Of course, they had the big hit Dumas Walker. That's really more of a country song. I decided to go with Walk Softly on this heart of mine. That's what, we, we're going that direction. But how can you do a list of Kentucky rock bands and at least pay some homage to the Kentucky Headhunters? There you go. Number five on the list, the Kentucky Headhunters. And uh, they're kind of involved with our number one group. All right, number four, you've heard this song at Duty Noble Field here recently. Oh, yeah, that's right. The band Cage the Elephant. Arogy from Kentucky actually moved to England, kind of found some sound there, and they had a great song called Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. That's right. That's been a walkout. All right, number three. A band that, uh, you know, when they hit the scene, a lot of people thought they were kind of Alice in Chains light back in the mid-90s. It's the band Days of the New. And uh, there were some substance abuse issues that ultimately led to the demise of this band. Um, They've been back out there and done some things in recent years, but uh, the debut single, Touch, Peel, and Stand, is absolutely amazing. It's stripped down. It's tuned down. And it's in your face. But Days of the New, number three. And again, they've got, what, four albums, I guess, out there, but nothing like that first one. Now, number two, rising from the ashes of Days of the New is the band Tantric. Now, if you don't know Tantric, let me let me encourage you. If you don't get anything else from today's list, if you are a rock person, you need to listen to Tantric. I don't know if we've done a top ten list of them. If we haven't, we should. Tantric is a great band. The singing's a little different. It's a little deeper, a little raspier. Doesn't really have the high register. But Hugo does an amazing job. This entire band's from Kentucky. But Tantric is amazing. The guitar work, amazing. And we're going to go with Breakdown because I know the breakdown's coming. All right, number one for me, one of my favorite bands of this generation. I began to... uh, I had a bass song from this band on my MySpace profile. That's how far this goes back with me. I love these guys. I've seen them multiple times. I've met uh, Ben. And some of the guys from Blackstone Cherry are the descendants of the Kentucky Headhunters. Kind of keeping the family business. If you don't know Blackstone Cherry, and we have done a top 10 list with Blackstone Cherry that got a lot, a lot of impressions. And a lot of you reached out to me and said, you know what, Steve, I didn't know much about these guys. I absolutely loved them. You absolutely will. Give Blackstone Cherry a try. My favorite album from them is Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea. I think every song on that album is absolutely killer. It's great. And I think you can start with album one and just kind of keep going. You know, what? you take these long road trips and you're trying to listen to podcasts or whatever, maybe you're tired of hearing you know, maybe me and Robbie and Brian's voice for a while, you want to take a break, listen to music. Put on a Blackstone Cherry album and just enjoy the ride. You'll be glad you did. We're going to go with White Trash Millionaire. That's our number one song today. The number one rock song from Kentucky is White Trash Millionaire from Blackstone Cherry. Could have gone a lot of different directions here, but uh, I'll tell you this too. I'm not a really big drug reference song guy, but Me and Mary Jane is the real deal. Absolutely the real deal. Blackstone Cherry, a great band. I could talk about the inner balance of the show, but I want, if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out let us know. The best way to do it is reach out to Roy on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic67, which is the year of his birth. He's older than me. And uh, Roy will put you on the list. And so I've enjoyed doing this. To be honest with you, you know, each week when we get ready to play an opponent, this football season I've kind of enjoyed – you're kind of doing the rock of our opponents and i think this is a very interesting list and again you've got some punk stuff on here you've got some new metal stuff you've got some southern rock stuff you got some punk stuff you got some modern rock stuff i love the fact that it's such a diverse sound out of kentucky and who knew who knew that kentucky would birth so many good rock bands so there you go your top 10 list for today all right next segment of the show brought to you by your friends at campus bookmark i love campus bookmark you will too if you haven't been to Campus Bookmart, let me encourage you to go and go see their smiling faces. The Bully Shop has been completely renovated. It's all upstairs now. It used to be downstairs. Bigger showroom, bigger selection, bigger savings for you, a great fan base, getting a chance to buy some great merchandise from a great Stark and institution at Campus Bookmart. If you can't make the talent, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Yeah, I know you guys have, are probably like me. It's like, um, do we feel like that our players are going to be unfairly maligned because of the offensive system in which they play? I mean, we see it all the time, right? I mean, you heard even last year, You know, when people are talking about, you know, the Connerly and that kind of stuff. And listen, you know, Matt Corral should have won the award. Absolutely should have. No doubt about it. Like, well, well, Rodgers is a product of the system. Well, when we all ran the split back beer and the triple option, did we say that those running backs were a product of the system? Is that what we did? Because I don't remember that. I think it's a product of the times. And the game has changed. And as Mike Lee said on Monday... The NFL clearly doesn't think it's dink and dunk because they're running a bunch of air raid concepts. And I don't know if the NFL has ever been more more exciting than it is today. It's great. I don't watch it as much because the Steelers aren't playing well. I'll just take my ball and go home. But Will Rogers currently leads the nation in passing yardage. We're not the only teams running the air raid. But 2,110 yards through six games. That'll get it done. That'll absolutely get it done. The number two guy on the list is Michael Penix, Jr., of course, that uh, transferred out to Washington. Very interesting. The guy from Indiana makes the move out there. But uh, Washington throwing it around a good bit too. Now, Will Rogers also leads the nation in pass attempts. Excuse me. That's incorrect. Third in pass attempts. Connor Bazelak in Indiana is throwing it more. Kyle Van at Georgia Southern has thrown it more. There's Will, right there with 282 passing attempts. If you look at passing completions, though, it's a different story. Will Rogers, most passing completions, the only guy in the country with over 200. Austin Reed at Western Kentucky, who also runs the air raid, 178 completions. And then Van Trees from Georgia Southern, that throws it around a good bit, 172. Passing touchdowns. CJ Stroud is the only quarterback in America that has more touchdown passes than Will Rogers. He has twenty four. Both have thrown three interceptions. I think that's a big thing to look at too, is like, you know, it's X number of touchdowns against the picks. There are a lot of people like Hinton Hooker hadn't thrown any. He's only got the ten passing touchdowns. Production's not there from a passing standpoint, but Hinton Hooker maybe a got to worked his way into the heisman trophy race kyle van treese is the guy that throws it a ton as you guys know second most attempts in the country georgia southern 11 picks 13 touchdowns remember our friend jaden delora from arizona yeah second in the nation seven interceptions thrown this year so you start running through the list here and you kind of begin to realize not only are we throwing a lot. But we're throwing it with purpose. People say, but, but Steve, we almost had these picks. You don't think other teams have almost interceptions? I mean, the Hugh Kellenberger doctrine was never ratified in the state of Mississippi. All right? But the reality of it is, is that's football. Not every ball is going to be on target. Sometimes you've got to get a receiver to get in there and break things up so you don't have a pick. And sometimes you're going to throw picks. But Wilson three, and two of them, were off the hands of his receivers. So we can live with a little bit of grace there, right? I mean, there's two times he was unlucky. Shouldn't he be entitled to a little luck every once in a while, too? When you look at this Will Rogers numbers, I mean it's just it's remarkable to think kind of where things are with Will right now. And I remember with, you know, with very fine recollection, how many people basically said we couldn't get it done with Will. We needed to go out and get in the transfer portal and go get this guy and get that guy. We've already tried that once with K.J. Costello, and it didn't work out well for us. But I'm very proud of Will Rogers, but I'm also proud of Mike Leach for sticking with this guy. He said on Monday, I, yeah, I did kind of envision this for Will, which makes sense. He didn't inherit Will. Yes, Will signed with Joe Moorhead, but Mike Leach offered him at Washington State. It wasn't like Mike Leach just showed up and had to kind of learn to like Will Rogers. He already liked Will Rogers. He knew that Will Rogers had the skill set required to run his scheme. And now you're seeing it happen. As we mentioned earlier in the week, too, the scoring average has gone up, you know, what, seventeen points in two years? know, I think people forget too. You know, Will Rogers made his debut against Kentucky in a game that was basically already decided. KJ was hurt. But the reality of it is is that we talk about how teams kind of take on the personality of their coach and certainly the guy in the huddle. You talk to Dylan Johnson, you talk to Jaden Wiley, you talk to Caleb Ducky, you talk to those guys, they'll tell you. Will Rogers is a dog. In that huddle, Will Rogers is trying to find a way to win. It's interesting, too, after we had beaten Texas A&M, I see Will after postgame. I'm getting ready to walk to the car. Will's out there signing autographs for his adoring fans. And I walked up, and I said, hey, two, good game. He said, thanks, but we should have scored again. That's how my my quarterback thinking? Don't you? And when somebody brings up Will, the Heisman talked to Will, he just kind of grins and laughs. And I don't think it's because he's proud. I think because he b- believes that's so far beyond the possibility that he's not even going to waste any emotional energy on it. Will Rogers is focused on Mississippi State football. Will Rogers is focused on the University of Kentucky. Will Rogers understands the last time we went up there, we got embarrassed. We didn't just get beat. We got embarrassed. And I don't think people really realize how big the meltdown was. And then we throw Will Rogers out there, and I remember I'm in the press box thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know if i throw him out of here in this situation. We didn't have a choice. You don't think that kid remembers that? Remembers how not just how poorly KJ played, but Will didn't play well either. Of course, the expectations for Will to play as a true freshman in his first appearance, the bar is not very high. So it's not a, you know, a Will Rogers indictment or anything. But I'm confident, knowing what I know about Will Rogers – that he has replayed that game over in his mind many times, as he has last year's game, what we did well. We talk about so much of this. You know, it's like, well, you know, we don't always play well up there. We've actually played pretty well. I believe our record's, what, 9-13 at Kentucky, something like that. I think we're 9-13. We've got nine wins on the road to Kentucky, and a lot of those came under Dan Mullen. So it's not like it was ages ago. But I say that because it's like the, we always just kind of pick and choose, you know, the facts that fit our narrative. I say, well, you know, Steve, you know, historically we haven't done well here, which has no bearing on this year's team. But I've I've yet to see anybody bring up, well, you know, we've kind of dominated Kentucky, for the better part. Well, you know, but we've lost our last three trips, which is true. It's true. But I think when you go back and look at those ball games again. And give Kentucky I – mean, Kentucky still had to hit a big field goal in 16 to break the losing streak against us. Uh, but the reality of it is is that we have gone up there and not played well, and a lot of that is on us. 18, that defensive front they had at Kentucky was legit, and they ate us alive. They did. But I think it's important to understand that Will Rogers is just cut a little different. And I say that because I think it's important for you guys to understand. Like you – you see to make-a-wish stuff, and oh, he's just such a good kid. And, and he absolutely is. But Will Rogers is one of the most competitive people that I've been around. I still contend to you that I think that probably the most competitive guy that I've been around is Dylan Favre. He didn't have the physical skill and the size that a lot of other people did. But, you know, Dylan Favre is a guy that would slit your throat to win a game of Chinese checkers. I mean, he was just – he is one of the most competitive people I've ever been around in my entire life. But Will Rogers is close. Will is a guy, too, that doesn't. I think a lot of this, too, is because he's a coach's kid. It's like each week, okay, what can we do to get better? I don't think Will Rogers and the Bulldog offense are all sitting around saying, ah, we got it. It's just not how it's, they're built. Now, two years ago, it may be completely different. I think it, back in two years ago, we were just all so happy to have a chance to play football. It's like, oh, let's just go. But I think Will Rogers understands this is kind of the Bulldog revenge tour and we got a chance to go up there and exercise some demons when we go to Lexington, Kentucky. i want to take a quick look back at that ballgame. And I think it's important to kind of look in context because people sometimes we just look at the final score. And at the end of the day, guys, the final score is all that matters. But let's look a little deeper into this because, again, this is Will Rogers' debut. And it didn't go well. It didn't. I remember thinking I, I, I was afraid he was going to get hurt because the game in many ways had been decided and I think that Kentucky was feasting Kentucky was eating as they say but that Kentucky team wasn't great they went 5-6 and six that year arguably their biggest win was against us and we didn't have a good year <laughs> we didn't it was a 4-7 and seven year let's take a quick look back at this though the 24-2 to game maybe you don't want to it was a night game, again, similar circumstances. We were coming off a loss that year. Now, the first quarter was completely scoreless. I don't know if you remember this. But there was no score after one. Defense was playing outstanding. We were keeping them very much at bay. They weren't able to do much in that ballgame. You know, you, you remember Terry Wilson... Remember him, right? He was supposed to be the next big thing. I told everybody that guy can't play quarterback in the SEC. Nobody listened to me. And guess what? He couldn't play quarterback in the SEC. So, we, you know, we go down and we get, you know, we, we get a stop, and then we, you know, we go down and, and then we, you know, we, we, we don't do good. You know, we end up having a punt. They get the ball on the uh, positive side of the field at 50. But, uh, you know, we go back and forth and back and forth, and nobody can really do anything. And this is the last time Colin Hill ever played for Mississippi State. It was in this ballgame. People forget that sometimes too. But they just weren't getting anything done. I mean, Brandon Ruiz missed a field goal from 56 to close out the half, the first quarter, excuse me. It's a 10-play drive that got 24 yards. Pretty crazy. We attempted a long field goal there to kind of break things. We couldn't get it done. And then finally in the second quarter, they kind of get some things figured out here. But the big play on this is we're third and 13. We've got them backed up at their own 35. We're going to have an opportunity to get decent field position here. They've, again, they've done nothing. And then Terry Wilson breaks container and runs 51 yards. He had 157 yards. There's 51 of them right there. And then they end up scoring a touchdown. And really the only sustained drive of the ball game for them. That was it. And then we do nothing, and we do nothing, and we do nothing, and we do nothing, and we do nothing. And then next thing you know, K.J. Costello, we're driving down the field to tie the ball game. We throw a pick six. Josh Pascoe runs it six, 76 yards down to not a pick six, down the two-yard line. And then Rodriguez scores, makes it 14 nothing. That's the only score in the first half. We lose contain on a third and 13, and we throw a bad pick. You can't do that when you're on a road. We get a safety in the third quarter and you start thinking, okay, we got a shot here. We got a shot. It's 14 to 2. We're still two scores away, but if we can you know, kind of get some things going. But again, third quarter, we couldn't get anything going. It's, it's remarkable to me when I go back and look at these numbers. Third quarter, they get the drive first, and um, excuse me, we get the ball first. This is kind of discombobulated at times here. But it's 14 0 here, and uh, we get the safety. And you remember, if I remember correctly, and, and you may see it differently than me. See, like I remember Emmanuel Forbes flashing and forcing a fumble here that we recovered in the end zone that uh, they reviewed and we didn't get. I think they just ruled it an incompletion. And maybe it was. I, I'm just kind of remembering that as we go. But again, we come out at third quarter and do nothing, absolutely nothing. And then we get a shot here. We force a fumble, and um, you know we got a chance here to kind of make something happen, and and we do nothing. We don't we don't do anything. It's just like you look at all this and you begin to think it's just like. We went for it on fourth and one from our thirty-four, and we give them the ball, and it would immediately get it back because of the fumble. We're just trying to make something happen. We 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 absolutely could not sustain anything. With KJ Costello, we just absolutely couldn't over and over and over again, over and over and over again. I remember, two K.J. having a chance to run for a first down, didn't, slid up short of the thing. It's just it, it's insanity to me. I remember the safety. I, I'd forgotten about this. You know, it was the uh, – they snap it over the punter's head. It's just – it's just – it's an, basically, when you go back and look at this, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but you go back and look at this, and it's just basically a testament to our own ineptitude – In this ballgame. I mean, it's ridiculous. KJ Costello was 36 of 55, 232 yards with four interceptions. Two sacks. And most of those picks were not even contested. They were thrown right at people. And in Will, God bless the young Will Rogers of 2020, nine of 15 for 43 yards and two picks. Colin Hill in his final game in a Mississippi State uniform, seven carries for 17 yards. Woody Marks, two for 12. Colin Hill did have 15 catches for 79 receiving yards, so he touched it more than anybody not named KJ Costello. But I think this was a, basically a historic meltdown, you know, with a quarterback who has some physical skill but had difficulty reading defenses – And I think as a result of that, I think a lot of people, their perception of that game is somewhat skewed. It's like we forget that Will didn't even start the game. Will Rogers didn't go up there and lose that ball game. Will have played better, absolutely. This will be Will's first chance to be the starter in Lexington. And I think the lingering memories of that bitter loss will be a motivating factor for Will. I think that's important to understand. And again, knowing what we know about Will and how competitive he is, you better believe Will Rodgers is going to bring his best effort. I don't think there's any question about that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Uh, I love Portico. You would too. If I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I would move. There's no question about that. Uh, to be that close to campus would be wonderful. And it's on the quiet side of campus. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus, tucked away off of 82, off of 2012, excuse me, goodness, I know I know where I live. You turn off 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stop. Boom, there you are on the right-hand side. Portico. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, maybe your primary residence, your future retirement home, maybe it's an investment property for you, Portico has a place for you. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two under construction now. Some custom builds part of that, too. And if you want that there are things you need, they can accommodate you. Reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan. Let me give you his number right now 601 416 8075. Again, 601 416 8075. And again, Brooks, part of a great group, bringing this wonderful residential development to Starkville. Brooks wore the M over S, and not just at a ball game, but in a ball game. This is a guy that's invested in Mississippi State, invested in Starkville. Be sure and, and uh, hit Brooks up with your questions. You'll we'll be glad you did. Again, at 601-416-8075. All right, our last few minutes together, let's do a little housekeeping here. Uh, you, maybe you've seen Mississippi State's going to wear the white, icy uniforms, they call them. But instead of having the banner on the helmets, they're going to have the script, right? It says state. I'm excited about it. A lot of people are. I'm not a big fan of the banner. I don't invest a lot of emotional energy in it. But here's the thing. I want what's best for Mississippi State. Like, I want everything to look good and be first class. And uh, there have been many times over the years that we've kind of hidden behind the budget and said, well, we can't afford to do this. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it is a matter of economics. But I like the fact that, you know, when we had Jared Benko here, and I think Eric George is kind of cut from the same cloth, it's okay, let's figure it out. Let's find a way. And I think this is one of those things, too. It's like, you know, I think we're being somewhat receptive to the fans and said, hey, let's, let's kind of shake it up a little bit here. If you look at the response on social media, a lot of people like it. I like it. And I think it's important for us to put our best foot forward when it comes to branding. Now, we're not always all going to agree. You know, there are a lot of people out there that love the M-State banner. They think it's amazing. And when it first came out, I did too. And I think it's just gotten a little bit stale. It's like when I look at like LSU and that kind of stuff and the Alabama A, I just don't get that same feeling Right. I mean, there's some schools you look at their logo and it's like, we know who we're looking at. I think when you look at the M state thing, I think it looks good, maybe on a lapel pin. And at times I thought it looked pretty good on the 50 yard line. But I just don't have that same maybe reverence, I guess, for that. I mean, to me, I I love the walking bully and a lot of other people don't. It's what we grew up with. But I thought the walking bully was fabulous. A lot of people hated it. Today, it looks like a cartoon character. So we're never going to please everybody. But I, I, I do appreciate the fact that we do have an administration and a marketing group, and, uh, you know, Rhett Hobart gets a lot of credit for that, but Rhett's a guy, too, that is quick to pass that along to other people. It's my whole team. We've got a lot of people working on this, as Rhett will say, and uh, which says a lot about him. The guy has some humility. And Rhett loves Mississippi State. Glad to have him back. But I think there are some things out there. I, I think we're getting there, right? I, and I think having Rhett back, is big because number one red knows who we are red understands the fact that so many of you have varying opinions about this again we're never gonna make everybody happy but i think red is a guy that is receptive to new ideas uh red has told me hey as you travel and you see things out there that are pretty cool let me know we'll take a look see if we can do them i love that about red i love the fact that red's like hey You know, Steve's a guy that travels extensively in the SEC. And, of course, when we play a football game, Rhett's going to be there. I'm going to be there for all the baseball stuff. And he's like, you know what? Hey, if you see a good idea out there, let me know. I don't know that's ever happened. I guess that's not true. Leah Bees, we did mention a couple things to me like that, too, especially for baseball. And uh, one of the things that I'd share with her, too, is like at Georgia they do the uh, highlights. Like on Saturday's game, they show the highlights and a, a quick video recap of Friday's game. That's something we should do. I think we've done it a little bit but um, I'm just I guess maybe because I'm getting old and uh, I'm from the 1900s but I like the fact that we have some some younger people within the administration that have some real passion for this and I think Rhett's a big part of that and he's not alone I'm not in any way just trying to pin all this on him and not that he would accept it but I think things like this are exciting for Mississippi State. You know again I'm I'm an old school guy when it comes to baseball. I really am. I don't like to change a whole lot. I like the M rest. I I don't think it should be a logo that's used on across all sports. I think it should be specific to Mississippi state baseball. And, and it's so funny. I'll, I, I'm, I've had this conversation many times. People would say, but Steve, why do we have to have a baseball only logo? Well, why does Ole Miss have to have one? Why does Florida state have to have one? Why does LSU have to have one? You know, it's like, you can go all the way down the list. A lot of teams out there that are very committed to baseball have a baseball-only logo. Why should we be any different? Because if the shoe was on the other foot, some of our people would be like, oh, I don't understand. Let's have one for, just for baseball. That's my belief. But I do like the fact that we do shake some things up. And I I've like the white road uniforms too. I'm not a big white helmet guy. But I like the look when we go completely white. Well. When we white it out, I, I like it. I didn't think I would. But I do. I don't like the all maroon, the maroon on maroon. I don't like that. And, uh, again, nobody is conducting a poll of what Steve Robertson likes. Nobody's going to call up and say, hey, Steve, this is what we're thinking about wearing this week. What do you think? It's never going to happen. But I'm invested in this program, too, just like many of you are. And so I think it's important to express your opinion. And there are a lot of people that don't have strong opinions about that. But I I think this weekend when we take the field at Lexington, I think you're going to like what you see. We are state. We are Mississippi State. And, and you speak to people all throughout the South. They know who state is. There was a guy on our message board just yesterday. He said, you know what? I lived in the panhandle of Florida for a while in Tallahassee, and everybody down there knew us as state. Even in Florida, they know us as state because they call Florida State FSU. We're not MSU. That's Michigan State. And you know, we, we, we use it sometimes. But the reality of it is we're state. I'm sure in other states, they have a state too. But in the southeastern region of the United States, people in college athletic circles know us as state. My personal opinion is, is we should push it. I remember being a kid, getting a big sweatshirt, just a big maroon sweatshirt, just had state across it. There was never any question about who that was. I like the Miss State a little bit, too. I love those uh, logos and those jerseys from that time because there's this feelings of nostalgia for the Jackie Sherrill era that was so fun for us. But I think when you begin to think about uh, the fact that we've had this vintage vault collection, and, of course, the uh, interlocking MSU is supposed to come back next year, but uh, it's a good time to be in the market for Mississippi State merch, right? And so when I think about years of, of my life, I remember it's, it's like – there were so many things that things just weren't good enough. You know what I mean? It's like, well, we're Mississippi State. I'm glad to say now that the new Mississippi State doesn't have that same ideology. We don't just think, well, we're Mississippi State. I shared with you guys before, Rocky Felker, when he was here, and this is in the 80s, this isn't in the 40s. When he was here in the 80s as our head football coach, he cut out film in a mobile home that was donated to us by Florence High School over in Alabama. That's embarrassing. The fact that our head football coach is in a donated trailer, a trailer, to cut up film to go compete in a Southeastern Conference, that's an indictment. This new generation, I think, in administration sees things much differently. We're more more committed to athletics. I think it all starts with Dr. Mark It goes down to John Cohen. And uh, I I love the people uh, in in the Facebook groups. I I do read those threads. I mean, like everybody else at night, when I can't sleep, I'm scrolling. A lot of people, there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, they have a lot of opinions. They don't have a lot of facts. And there were so many people after the LSU ball game that came out with all of this, you know, venom. Ready to fire John Cohen and Mike Leach. Oh, they got to go. Everybody's got to go. Everybody's got to go. It's funny I don't I don't I don't see him anymore. And so where is that same level of energy? Because you were so convinced after LSU, the LSU lost a game that we should have won. I think we all agree with that. We should have won the game. We didn't. And I think seeing Tennessee beat them the way they did down there makes us feel even worse about it. And the fact we look up and see Ole Miss is undefeated, ranked ahead of us, we think you know what we could be right there with them or ahead of them, right? The only polls that counter the last one. But let's not be prisoners of the moment here, right? Let's kind of look and see what we have, where we're headed. And I think right now, when you if you look at all the statistical categories, we talked about it earlier, Will Rogers leads the nation in passing, leads a nation in completions, second in passing touchdowns. Mississippi State defensively probably playing the best that it's played under Mike Leach at Mississippi State. It's been, with rare exception, have you ever had a quote bad game on defense with Zach Garnett as your play caller? And you recall many of you very skeptical when we hired Zach Garnett. Oh, he's never called plays before. Why would we go out and get this guy? Well, he's a Rocky Long disciple, who is the defensive coordinator that Michael Leach respects the most. And then after year one, LSU and everybody else is trying to go get Zach. And they're like, oh, well, wait, don't go. And this is what Mike Leach had envisioned, to have this incredibly vicious defense that complements the offense. We'll get you off the field. We're going to be tough in the red zone. Occasionally, we're going to give up some big plays, and Mike Leach will tell you we need to clean that up. But we're beginning to see the realization of Mike Leach's vision for Mississippi State football. Does that mean that we're going to go win this weekend? I think so. There's no guarantees in life. We still have a very difficult second-half schedule. But we've taken the next step. We've still got some time to go, and I read, the, well, we're still Mississippi State. We still got a chance to mess this thing up. Go root for somebody else. Go root for somebody else. Because I don't want you to procreate with another Mississippi State person and then, and then breed that negativity deeper in the fan base. We're trying to breed that stuff out of it. Oh, we still got a chance to go in a tank. I don't know what to say, guys. I mean, I, re- I really don't. When I, when I see that kind of stuff, I just, I just shake my head. And I'm thinking, look at how far we've come as a program, as an administration, as a university. And we still have these people that want to forecast failure all the time. It just blows my mind. And so, again, you look at the numbers, 21 points to, to 38 points in two years. Granted, we're not done because we still got to play Alabama-Georgia. And, and maybe it settles somewhere around 30. Who knows? But the reality of it is, is we're beginning to see, number one, John Cohen went out and really did the kind of thing we don't do. He goes out there and goes and gets Mike Leach, the most interesting man in college football. We don't do that. But we did it. And I think a lot of it, too, is because we're trying to change, the th- we're trying to change our thinking. We go out and we get Chris Lamonis, a sitting power five head baseball coach. And granted, Indiana not the job Mississippi State is, but Indiana had, had a pretty good run. We played him in Omaha. Lamonas was an assistant then. But the reality of it is, is, you know, we go out and get a sitting power five coach. And then we go out and get Chris Jans. One of the hottest names in the NCAA tournament last year, for the play that he put on the court. I mean, it's like, who is this guy? And we go get that guy. Then you'll get Sam Purcell, who's considered by many to be the top assistant coach, the top recruiting assistant in the country. And so we do—we do, we have done some things that are maybe different than the box we've normally put ourselves in. And I remember seeing those first pictures of Mike Leach with John Cohen, thinking to myself, this is really happening. We've, we've hired Mike Leach. And people are like, oh, the game's passed him by. The air raid won't work in the SEC. And then all of a sudden I look up and we're 5-1 and one and ranking in the top 16. Should be undefeated. And we got a quarterback leading the nation in passing. But the air raid won't work in the SEC? You kidding me? I remember when Urban Meyer came, people said, oh, that spread option offense will never work in the SEC. The defensive ends and linebackers just simply too fast. Two NAFL championships later, <laughs> Right. So I just say, I think it's important to kind of understand that um, this is a good time to be a Bulldog. The spring wasn't. Okay, we, we, we ended football on a negative note, and we still could. I, I grant, you, grant you that. We still could. But I think it's okay to hope. It's okay to believe. It's okay to enjoy the ride. I mean, it's like there are so many people, and there's not as many as there used to be. It's like we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're just waiting for something bad to happen so we can say, see, told you so. And I remember this guy, I won't, I won't call his name because I won't embarrass him. He had a connection with one of our players, and we, we, had, a, we had a tough ball game of several years ago. And he said, man, it's just dogs being dogs. And I think to myself, man, if you're a dog, it's making me ashamed to call myself one. That's not how I feel at all. I believe Mississippi State is capable of great things. I don't think we just have to be, be satisfied with Liberty Bowl. I don't think anybody is. I want to go out there and compete. And listen, I don't voice a lot of uh, criticisms of the national media to you guys the way that I do to some of my peers and friends and people like that because we just kind of go with the usual suspects. But anybody that thought Mississippi State was going to be a bad team this year, it didn't do their homework. They sold Mike Leeds short. They sold Roger short. They sold this coaching staff short. And now all of a sudden – People are saying, you know what, Mississippi State's one of the top teams in the, in, the, in the conference. Mississippi State could be the number two team in the West. Some of the bowl projections have us going to the Florida Citrus Bowl, which would be incredible. The games fall just right. We could be a New Year's Six team. I'm not expecting that. But with Mike Leach, you just never know. But the reality of it is, it's, it's okay to believe I'm not saying we got to go out and start a Twitter campaign or a hashtag, but it's okay. Sports are supposed to be fun. We have absolutely destroyed two SEC West opponents in a row, and now we're going to play a very vulnerable Kentucky team at a place that's not been very hospitable to us our last three trips. And I think there is reason for confidence, and I think that confidence is very much justified. So let's live a little – Rather than sit around and say, you know what, I'm sure we're going to lose. It's just a miserable way to go through life. It's okay to expect great things at Mississippi State. Because I believe we're on the path to being able to deliver those things. Wasn't too long ago we won an Apple championship in college baseball. Maybe you've forgotten. But the reality of it is it's a good time to be a Bulldog. Let's enjoy these days when we are number one, winning, but also, too, we're getting a lot of very positive publicity around the country. I think it's an important aspect of it, too. We talk about branding, right? Well, we need a national pub. You know, we, we, well, we're getting it. You can't turn on the SEC network with people like Chris Doring and those guys speaking very adoringly about the Mississippi State program. Now, if you win this week, can you imagine the hype going into Tuscaloosa? Can you imagine this Mississippi State team headed to Alabama. And listen, Alabama's got a very physical game this week against Tennessee. So, you know, we'll see how things go. But you take care of business this week, you're the story of college football next week. Kind of heading into Alabama because a lot of people are going to be saying, hey, is is Alabama on upset alert? And we'll see how it goes. Let's go take care of Kentucky first. So we'll be back on Friday, kind of break down the SEC weekend, kind of give you the – you know, we've got uh, – media availability with coaches today. We'll kind of bring up a speed on that too. And if you hadn't done so, go to jeanspage.com. All of our videos from practice, our post-practice interviews are free. You can go to the website, whether you're a member or not, and you can scroll down and watch those videos for free. If you don't have time to read an article. Maybe you just got three or four minutes to watch a video. You can watch it. You can see the, hear the questions that are asked and the answers that are produced by your players and coaches. You can watch it for free. If you hadn't done so, I'll tell you something it's not for free. You go to go to uh, dogpile the book and uh, you get the sports books, all four of them there available. Uh, Alpha dog, stark ones, Flem Flam, Dogpile of course. Get them signed, personalized, sent out to you relatively quickly. Blooms of Oleander, of course, available just about everywhere else. Uh, barnesnoble.com dot com, Amazon. You can get it, you can have it. It's just something that I did for the fun of it, and. Uh, worked out to be pretty successful. And so I appreciate your contributions and uh, your support of all of that. And of course, uh, Stark Villain gear available at starkvillains.com. I'm happy to say too, there's a couple of my friends in the uh, rock music industry that now have shirts from me and they're saying they're going to wear them on stage for me. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we'll have a picture of them wearing that so we can market those shirts. So that'd be pretty cool too. So Stark Villain shirts available at starkvillains.com. Listen, I love you all guys very much, whether you love me or not, and uh, want what's best for you and your family. And so I hope you have a great rest of the week. And uh, I, I spend so much time sometimes too. I, I'm, people think, you know, it's always about sports. And uh, when I drive, I do a lot of thinking. I begin to think about, you know, kind of things that I'm dealing with in life and, and what you maybe you guys are dealing with in life. And uh I just hope that everybody in the sound of my voice, no matter your rooting interest, I hope that everybody that you and you love is far from harm's way. Because you know life is tough. It really is. And you never know from one day to the next when something may happen that may alter the course of your own life. So let's live in today and appreciate today. And don't ever, ever forget to tell the people you love how much you truly love them. Because you never know when you're going to lose them. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.